It's the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. J.C. Sherbert with you along with Tony Morrell. And folks, quite a week around Gamecock land. It is an open week on the football field. But um, lots of uh, talk in the air, I guess. you could. Uh, I- I'm trying to think, Tony, of a, uh, a comparable situation. Maybe some things that have happened at Auburn over the years. Um, but boy, uh, what a week of the school president releasing statements, doing interviews, and uh, talking to uh, – Different media outlets about the future of head football coach Will Muschamp. I think in all, if you count Ray Tanner's statement from last week, there were three statements, two interviews, uh, and this is on top of the board of trustees being interviewed and, and saying a lot about the buyout last week and going on the record about that with five different opinions. Um, and then just kind of a, a humorous top to it all, a uh, student manager got fired uh, from his job and was arrested apparently for fighting a guy that was dressed up like Will Muschamp on Halloween. So <laughs> I thought just when it can't get any weirder, I see that headline. And a friend of mine was like, the hits just keep on coming. But, you know, Tony, what do you make about all, all that? I mean, I, I think it's a little embarrassing. I think it, it doesn't do anybody any favors. I, I think at some point uh, everybody needed to just pipe down and be quiet. Um, but, man, what a week uh, of, of things like that going back and forth. Well, I think it's more than a little embarrassing. Uh, I think it's extremely embarrassing for the university. I think it puts a spotlight on the fact that nobody is on the same page down there. The board of trustees has its own agenda, and there are multiple factions on the board of trustees with their own agendas. The president has one agenda. The athletic director has another one. It And, and it's a perfect example of why you don't talk in – scenarios like this and at a time like this you put out your one statement where everybody's on the same page you're in support of your coach and you leave it alone until the season's over and then you make your final decision on how you want to proceed going forward but you don't issue multiple statements you don't do multiple interviews you don't issue a statement correcting what you said in a previous statement it's (laughs) it's embarrassing it's absolutely an amateur hour situation at South Carolina right now and it's it's only going to get worse if they don't get on the same page and don't have somebody who is going to be the one spokesperson, preferably Ray Tanner, because he's been through it before. I don't think a board of trustees should ever be talking in a situation like this. And I don't think it's the president's job either. This is an athletic director's job. If he's going to remain athletic director, he's going to be the one primarily making this decision and the one who's going to have a best feel for where things stand with Will Muschamp in the football program and whether he's the right guy going forward. So he, to, in my mind, Ray Tanner is the only one who needs to be commenting right now. And and then you get on the same page and you, you let next Saturday play out and then you figure out what is the best route to take for the football program going forward. I agree with you there. I mean, the Board of Trustees – article was bad in and of itself I mean because those guys aren't on the same page either and and, you know they normally aren't uh and and that's why I think it's also best for you know one person to comment and and, you know you kind of have a a united front at least in the media rather than one guy saying one thing one guy saying the other I mean you know they kind of control the purse strings to the university they approve everything and all that money wise and you got one guy saying oh yeah you got the money for a buyout you got one guy saying I, I don't think we I don't think it's out of the question, but we probably couldn't afford it. I mean, probably. I mean, what 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 kind of I mean, what kind of statement was that? Um, and that's that goes beyond meddling in a football program. That that's that that's handicapping your athletic director. Um, 
because if he has to go hire a new coach, the other the new coach is going to take a look at that situation. And 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 you know, coaches like to work and like to make money, and most of them make you know three or four million a year at the current job they're at. And why would you give that up to go into something unstable um, when it looks as unstable as it did at South Carolina? And, and you're right, the school president should never be commenting uh, on football unless it's or athletics in general unless it's overly. Positive. I think Harris Pastides did a great job of that when he was the president of South Carolina. He was just, you know, nothing but supportive and any kind of hard questions he'd defer to Ray Tanner or whatever. And uh, I just think Caslin's kind of stepped in it a little bit here with some of his comments, and uh, it, it's just bad. And it, it, it kind of makes Will Muschamp in his situation very difficult uh, because he's still trying to recruit. You know, he's still trying to get players to – come to South Carolina, and when you're facing that kind of thing with the media, uh, it makes it very difficult because you can bet other schools uh, have looked at all that, and that gives them what we call ammo uh, as far as the recruiting trail goes. And and that that's what's unfortunate too because all signs are pointing towards Will Muschamp coming back as of right now. And so if you're going to bring him back, you know – why are you handicapping him on the recruiting trail? And why are you why are you making his life that much harder or his job that much more difficult? It's going to be difficult anyway, you know, because you're sitting at probably a four and eight record this year in year four, and and a lot of other schools that you recruit against have a lot more momentum than you do right now. So you're making it even more difficult. And I think that just adds to the more the clueless nature of the comments because if you don't understand what you're doing. Um, in terms of the recruiting angle of it, you know, you don't really know about winning and what it takes to win, I think, in the Southeastern Conference and, and kind of how to handle these things. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's just it's they're, they're taking a bad situation and making it worse. And, and that's just – it makes no sense. It doesn't help the university in any way. It doesn't help the football program in any way. And like you said, it certainly doesn't help Will Muschamp's job or make it any easier when, when you know, it, this, there's this appearance that nobody is on the same page and that everybody's doing their own thing down there. So, um, you know, they, somebody has to get things together uh, because um, if and when the time comes where they're, they're looking for another football coach, and that may be this year, maybe next year, maybe 10 years from now. I don't know when it will be, but – there has to be a better plan on how to handle scenarios like this. And heck, even if it's another sport, another major sport, it, it just, you, you have to present a united front to the public. Even if things aren't necessarily united behind the scenes, you still have to present uh, a scenario where everybody is on the same page, everybody's working together, and they're going to cohesively determine what is the best route for the university. And and right now, it, there's just, there's no way you can look at this this scenario and, and believe that's the case yeah i'm with you there hopefully it's more of a quiet week next week in terms of uh you know what uh what the public comments are uh moving forward and i know it, it does does has not made anybody's job down there any easier and so that's uh that's what's unfortunate about it now speaking of jobs and not being easy tony gamecocks did have a game this past saturday night Lost to Texas A&M 30-6. I thought it was another offensive disaster. Um, I, I I think Texas A&M has a good defense. It obviously was on the road. Uh, but South Carolina, again, can't get the running game going and just, you know, fell and, you know, sort of 
unspectacular fashion. I mean, it was a 13-3 game at the half. It was somewhat competitive. They had their chances to maybe get back in it. It just didn't happen uh, the whole night. And that, that was – uh, that was just a game that I kind of looked at and said, well, they're just – it wasn't even the opponent so much. It was just like this team is just really struggling on offense right now. And then with the defense being on the field like they are, I don't think you can reasonably expect them to hold a team down uh, in the teens for four quarters when they're getting no help from their offense. Yeah. You know, unsurprisingly, Texas A&M borrowed a page out of Appalachian State's defensive playbook and said they were going to take the run away – and they're going to make South Carolina show they could beat them with the pass. Uh, and you take Brian Edwards out of the equation at wide receiver, and the personnel they had on the field is just it, – it's way below average for the SEC. And you know, A&M didn't have to double anybody at receiver. They didn't have to really respect anyone down the field at receiver. They were able to get a lot of bodies close to the line of scrimmage, and, and South Carolina had no answer. Uh, you know, I was – I didn't go to the game. I was watching the game with my wife, and when I found out pregame that Brian Edwards wasn't going to play, I looked at her and I said, South Carolina may not score in this game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they did manage two field goals, but just a brutal offensive performance. You know, eight or nine straight drives with no third down conversions. Uh, just awful. No, no, no sign of a game plan, no sign of adjustments once again. And and just you know bad personnel out there at certain positions. So uh, it was it was hard to watch offensively for South Carolina. The, I think the the good news for South Carolina, the potential good news, is that the defense played well enough for them to win again. Uh, and I think that's been the case in every game since Will Muschamp took over the play calling before the Kentucky game. It's been the case in every game with the exception of Tennessee. Uh, every other game, the defense has played well enough. And the offense is just not giving them any help right now. You know, there's been some speculation on the side and the message board the last week or so that that maybe the team has quit. And and I don't think that's the case at all. If the team had quit, they get blown out in that game much worse than they did in the end. I know that the the final score was ugly with with A&M scoring a couple of late touchdowns, but they were in that game in in the early fourth quarter and just... You know, the the defense did everything they could, even after losing T.J. Brunson. Uh, they rallied and, and played extremely well as a unit and, and gave the team a chance to win. And um, you know, it's never a good sign when, when Joseph Charlton is is one of your MVPs. And, and once again, he had a, a great game punting the ball <laughs> and, had, and had an unbelievable uh, play where he, you know, avoided a block and picked up a first down. That's one of the, the, the greatest plays I've ever seen a punter make at South Carolina, really at any level. Uh, I don't even know how, I don't know how he saw that coming, uh, when he's focused on the ball to, you know, getting ready to punt it, but he did and, and, you know, picked up the first and then the offense proceeded to go nowhere. Yeah, that was unfortunate. I felt bad for Joseph Charlton after that situation. Um, yeah, and I don't know, you know, offensively, I don't, you know, I have a lot of questions. I still don't think the play calling is all that good. They're not putting Holinsky in a position to succeed. The running game is still, you know, you keep talking about creativity in the running game. I just don't see it. Um, I see maybe some different types of plays, but then once again, there's no cohesiveness to set things up. Uh, Rico Dowdle does not look like the same back uh, pre-injury that he does now. Um and then, you know, the other guys don't really get many opportunities to get out there and get it done. I just, you know, 
Uh, Joseph Charlton was the second leading rusher with the 10-yard run, Tony. <laughs> Dowdle had seven carries for 12. Um, you know, It's like a flashback to 1999 right now. I agree. You know, with, with with the way South Carolina when you know, you knew they just had no chance offensively, and, and, and the personnel is not nearly as bad now as it was in 1999. Um, but it's just uh, – it, it's brutal offensively right now. I don't see Mikhail Goodman and Kevin Sides and Kyle Crabb out there, the, the three-headed monster of 1999. Um, I don't, yeah. And it, but, but this team is playing. Like that A&M game, you hit the nail on the head. It was a lot like the 99 team where, you know, that defense had guys like John Abraham on it. And I think Arturo Freeman was on that defense. And some, you know, Kalimba Edwards and some really good players. Um, but they just – because they had no shot on offense, it was just – it was bad, you know. And, and that's – it's a shame because th- this this offense has gotten worse, you know. From the second half of Tennessee on, this offense has just been – has gotten worse. It hadn't gotten better. And uh, that's kind of a shame. So, um, I don't know what they need to do against Clemson. I, I do know that, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk and rumors out there that, that, they, that he would change play callers for the Clemson game. I, I don't see that happening based on a couple of conversations I had this week. I just don't think – I think he's going to ride it out with McClendon and then we'll see what happens and go from there. You know, speaking of going from there, you know, what? I, I don't know. Like, like I said earlier, I I think all signs are pointing toward Muschamp coming back for a fifth year. I, I don't think there are any guarantees, um, you know, depending on what exactly happens against Clemson. Uh, I, I think that uh, the decision, though, is, is probably – barring something unforeseen made for him to return. Um, obviously, there needs to be some staff changes and things like that. But, um, you know, I don't know exactly kind of – I would speculate that there would be a new offensive coordinator and I would speculate there would probably be a new strength staff. But I don't – you know, beyond that, I don't know exactly what's going to happen and, and how that impacts things, Tony. But I, I'll say this. I, I do think that, you know uh, – Will Muschamp's going to get another chance to hire an offensive coordinator. I think we said this when he hired McClendon, that it better be a a good hire, better work out. I mean, I think this is probably the last chance he'll have uh, if he does make a move to, to, I guess, get that side of the ball right from a coaching standpoint. Yeah, I, this is – assuming that's how it plays out, I, I think you said it correctly. I mean, this is – if he is going to make a change at offensive coordinator, and I don't see any way he can sell staying on their current path offensively to this fan base or, frankly, his team. And I know Brian McClendon is well-respected as a coach and a person, and the players really like him. Uh, but under the circumstances in year four, with the offense being as bad as it is, I think he has to – he being Will Muschamp, he has to give this fan base and his team – something to get excited about from an offensive standpoint. And it, he it needs to be a proven guy, in my opinion, and it needs to be someone who's going to run a system that fits the personnel uh, and one that's going to work in the SEC. And, you know, I've had some people ask on the site, you know, do you do you want someone who's going to run a system that's more tailored towards a guy like Ryan Helensky, or do you want something that's going to be tailored more towards Luke Doty? And my answer to that is, it shouldn't be that difficult to find someone who can use either side, either type of quarterback. Um, so I, I don't, I don't think that's a big part of the equation, but I, I think you have to get a proven guy who's going to run 
uh, and a, a system that can put up numbers and succeed in the SEC and and give the fan base and the players something to get excited about this offseason and going into next year. Yeah, on the quarterback, that's a very interesting point about the quarterback thing. I, I think most of your better offenses these days, you know, they they first and foremost, you have to be able to throw the ball. Um, the days of uh, – lining up and just being able to have a running quarterback and, and not really be that well in the passing game and all that. Th- those days are kind of over. Um, you look at the very successful teams. Uh, you look at Bama and Clemson and, and Georgia. You know, Jake Fromm is a really good passer. But he can run a little bit. You know, they don't run him a whole lot, but they can run him. He, run, he runs a little bit. Trevor Lawrence, very good passer. He can run a little bit. You know, Tua Tagovailoa. Uh, pre-injury, of course, was a guy that could throw it. His strength was throwing the ball, but he was mobile and could could run it a little bit. And, and that, those are the types of guys you need. I don't know that. Mm. I don't know that you're going to run Halinski all the time, you know. But but I think I don't think he's necessarily a statue. He's certainly a guy you have to protect, but he's not a guy that's back there that you know is just a sitting duck. Um, and then Luke Doty is a little bit better runner. A lot better runner coming out of high school than Holinsky, but he's also a guy that can throw the football. Yeah, he's also a pass-first guy, yeah. and that's my point. It's not like you're going from a guy who's going to run the option to a guy who's going to run a pro-style offense. You know, it's it's Connor Shaw and Dylan Thompson. Yeah, you know, it's it's you know it's you shouldn't have to make that many changes to to suit your play call into whoever's under center and what their strengths are as a quarterback. Yeah, I agree, and, and there's tons of systems out there like that because. You know, these days, you know, most of your dynamic offenses are are very um, flexible in terms of the style of quarterback. And you see that in the NFL, too, these days. I mean, a lot of people said Lamar Jackson wouldn't be a good NFL quarterback. Well, he is, you know. Same with Russell Wilson and a lot of a lot of guys. So, I think that uh, – I don't think it should be difficult to find a offense and a coordinator that, that, you know, fits the whole – you know, what you got at quarterback and the system and the personnel and probably the quarterbacks on into the future. I think it's a uh, – it's something that could um, can be done. I don't think it's that hard. You know, that that's not one of those things that's too terribly difficult uh, in my opinion. All right, so speaking of the future, uh, <laughs> so we're sitting there, you know, combing through all of the – the, the, the statements and speculation and all that good stuff. And, and Tony Carolina got some – Pretty good recruiting news this week uh, in um, Marshawn Lloyd. Uh, he's leaving DeMatha. He's going to go, I guess, back to his high school in Delaware so he can graduate early. Um, pretty big news, I think. Uh, and, and I'm operating under the presumption that, that Marshawn Lloyd's coming to South Carolina. Um, I think it's big news to get him on in and uh, get him ready to roll in terms of uh, the spring and going through spring practice and, and things like that. Yeah, I agree. I think that you know they they're going to need him to, at the very least, play a big role next year. He could very well be a game one starter at, at true freshman at running back for them. So the sooner you can get a guy like him on campus, uh, the better. And uh, I think that you know it was we knew that that it wasn't a possibility if he stayed at Dematha. And I think the fact that he is is looking to make this change and and. Uh, get out early and enroll at South Carolina, uh, potentially in January, I think would be very good news for the program and, and very good news for next year's team. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's a he's a guy that I think could get in there and get it, especially with if he has the spring to kind of go through like him and uh, 
I have Kevin Harris and Deshaun Fenwick and Marshawn Lloyd right now. Uh, those are the three running backs that I think they'll have. You know, probably will, there will be some more additions. You have Rashad Amos that will come in. Uh, and then I, I wouldn't be surprised if they pick up another running back here along the way. But uh, Lloyd coming in early certainly would help. Um, Reggie Grimes, Steve Wiltfong, we call him the Oracle on 24-7 sports. Uh, he's uh, uh, batting a high percentage in terms of crystal ball picks. And uh, good news for the Gamecocks this week. Steve put out a crystal ball, uh, according to what he's hearing, uh, of Reggie Grimes to the Gamecocks joining you and me and uh, our staff at the Big Spur and some other folks. Um and they had, that announcement's coming up here pretty soon. So, Tony, I think uh, I think that could be pretty another piece of good news from the recruiting trail. It could be. And I'm not 100% sure he will announce next week as planned. I, I've heard some talk that he could potentially delay his decision and, and just see how things shake out following the Clemson game at South Carolina. I think that's where he's planning to commit to. I think that's been the case for a long time. Bobby Bentley's done a really good job with him and his father and, and selling him on the virtues of South Carolina's program and the defensive staff. And, you know, if he can't go play for Nick Saban at Alabama, you're playing for Will Muschamp and the system that he's put in that models that he modeled after Nick Saban's at Alabama is the next best thing uh, and has really sold Grimes on, you know, his ability to make an early impact at South Carolina they feel like they're, they're building a really good defensive line for the future, and, and he's a guy who could help them potentially next year as a pass rusher. But I think that's when we're going to have to continue to track. Uh, you know, leading up, it's scheduled for November 28th right now. Um, you know, we'll see if he follows through on it, but I, I can't say it would shock me if he would delay it. But I think as long as Will Muschamp and Bobby Bentley are still on staff and he feels good enough about the future of the program, I still think the Gamecocks have a good shot there. Yeah, I think it, the Gamecocks have uh... – uh, the relationship that they've built with that kid has been outstanding. And um, obviously in recruiting, recruiting comes down to relationships and comfort level and all that. I've said that for years and it's, you know, his comfort level with the Gamecocks is high. Now that could change if there are a lot of changes or if Will Muschamp gets fired or something like that. Tony, do you think, I know you talk a lot about this. You talk a lot about pass rushing and we all, we all want to see better pass rushing. And I've seen better pass rushing at times this year. I still think it could be better. Um, what type of pass rusher do you think this kid can end up being um, in time? I, I kind of think he's going to take about a year to get used to it. Um, but 6'4", 240, runs 4'5", consistently on the clock. I mean, this is, this is a big-time, long-armed athlete uh, that you see playing defensive end in the SEC. Yeah, he's, he has what you can't teach. Uh, you, you can't – teach a kid to, to have his skill set of, of length and athleticism, change the direction, explosiveness out of his stance, all the, all the kind of things that, that you look for in a pass rusher. Uh, what he needs is coaching. He just needs to someone that's going to really help him develop his talent and, and get the most out of his ability. And you know, I would say probably most likely scenario for him next year would be a situational player. Uh, but I think, like you said, in year two, uh, with the right coaching, the right development, I think he's got a chance to be a the kind of kind of player who could potentially start for the next two or three, four years if he redshirted next year and 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 be a a big impact player for them. Yeah, and I I, I want to say this too, amidst all the negativity of this year, and uh, I I do believe that there's reason for the negativity because the season has not gone well. <laughs> uh, I do think that Mike Peterson 
the coaches Bucks and ends and John, John Scott Jr. Uh, both those guys, I think, have done a good job coaching on the defensive line this year, Tony. I, I think that unit as a whole has taken a step forward. Um, you know, like I said, it's just tough when your defense gets worn out. Uh, every single game, and you know they have had some breakdowns in the secondary, and the line, and losing Brunson at linebacker last week was bad. But um, I do want to say that I do think that the those two coaches have done a really good job coaching uh, that unit this year. Yeah, uh, no doubt. And I think when you look at the the returning talent they have on the defensive line, the potential to bring in more talent in this class. Uh, I think they're, they're really building a, a strong defensive line for the future at South Carolina. And I, I think the, you know, the, the more success they can have, the more likely they are to continue recruiting at a high level on the defensive line. Obviously, the big question for next year is how do you replace a guy like Javon Kinlaw? Uh, they don't really have another guy that fits his body type. Uh, I'd say Zach Pickens probably has the best chance to maybe uh, move into that spot next year, even though he's not quite as tall as Kinlaw. He's going to be the toughest to replace. Uh, and then, of course, D.J. Wanham at Buck uh, is going to be difficult to replace. But I, I think there's a lot of pieces in place in, a, in, in a, a scenario where they can continue to rotate a lot of players on the defensive line and keep fresh bodies out there. And, and if they can keep developing these guys, I think they're only going to get better and better up front. Yeah, that's not even mentioning guys like Joe Anderson, who was a, a big-time recruit who's been promising that's redshirting this year or – uh, yeah, Devontae Davis was a JUCO kid that got hurt in, um, I guess, the first day of, of camp. Um, he had – I think he got the same, had the same injury, uh, the Liz Frank injury that Jake Bentley had. Um, Tyreek Johnson's another young player that's coming along. Uh, Jabari Ellis is a guy that will be back next year. Um, and that would be my concern because you lose Kobe Smith and Ken Law. That's two guys. And, and this is kind of – for those of you that follow recruiting all the time, this is kind of where – some of the misses do come back to haunt you because South Carolina uh, – and these aren't misses like misevaluations. These are guys that had academics and off-the-field issues. I mean, right now, South Carolina should be looking at Josh Belk and Jakeem Green and Jaquez Sorrells coming back on the interior next year, um, along with Pickens and Sandage. And if you look at – if you take that five, that, 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 that that's a potentially great group. Um so I think deep depth on the interior would be a concern right now for me, just kind of looking at, you know, what happens if a Sandage or a Pickens gets injured and, and things like that. But that, that unit is going to get better and better. And speaking of which, staying on the recruiting trail, Tony, five-star Jordan Birch from Columbia. I think this is going to be one of the most talked-about recruitments here. You always have kind of that one guy, you know, when when things kind of – when we turn the focus toward recruiting in the offseason – uh, at least until I think December 17th when he's announcing uh, yeah, we're turning our focus towards this one guy. South Carolina appears to be in it a little more than maybe we were thinking. Um, and I've also heard LSU is, is a big factor as well. Yeah, you know, I, it, it, I'm going to sound like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because I've been saying on the site for a while that, that I, I didn't like South Carolina's chances with Birch. And, and I was not basing that on what I was being told from anyone inside of South Carolina's program. It was more of what I was hearing from someone close to Birch and his mom and, and just the things I was hearing out of his camp that led me to believe that, that the way South Carolina's season had gone uh, combined with, uh, you know, the way Clemson had played, the way Georgia had played, and 
and just some of the things those programs had working for them relative to what South Carolina was working with for the future, uh, that it was going to be tough to land him. And there were a couple of games, home games at South Carolina, where he could have come to the games with his mom, and instead of coming to the games, he went nowhere. And I thought that was a red flag to me, um, that it, he was choosing not to come to, to, to some of those home games that he could have attended, uh, being right there in Columbia. Uh, but um, with that said, yesterday uh, I started doing more checking on the Clemson end, on the LSU end, on the Alabama end, and, and I didn't really get much of an answer on the Georgia end. But from the people I spoke with, Nobody knows. Nobody. <laughs> it's not like there's one program that's like, yeah, our, you know, this staff feels really good about their chances with him. Nobody has a good feel, and that includes Clemson, who I think a lot of people have assumed uh, was was probably where, where he was most likely to end up as this process has gone on. Uh, I've had a couple of sources on that end ask me what I'm hearing uh, to where they so, because they don't really know. So. I think it's like you said. It's going to be there's going to be a lot of eyes on his recruitment leading up to his announcement. I think it's actually the 18th he announces that first day of signing, and I think there's there's going to be a lot of eyes on that one, and and probably unless something changes between now and then, probably a lot of uncertainty as to where he's going to you know, who he's going to pick. Uh, I could see it being a, a shocker, but there are sources on the inside of South Carolina's program who really have never wavered and, and have always felt like they were in it. And I've heard that with some other guys where I was skeptical of it, uh, and I was skeptical in this case. But uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out, and, and I am anticipating covering that one a lot more leading up to the announcement than maybe I would have thought you know, just a week ago. Yeah, here's what I think about it. I mean, and I've heard – you know, I, I heard some Carolina chatter about Birch yesterday and also heard also heard LSU. Um, and I know LSU has come to Hammond, just in, in talking to some people around that program, you know, quite a bit, trying to recruit Huntley and Birch both. I mean, Ed Orgeron was one of the first head coaches to come by. Um, I think he has a relationship with the staff there. LSU's having a tremendous season. Um, so, you know – I wouldn't rule them out either. Those were kind of two new teams, whereas I think most people kind of speculated prior to recently it would be Clemson or Georgia. Um, so watch for the Gamecocks. Watch out for the Bayou Bengals. Hold on to your hats. That's a that's a five-star guy from Columbia. If you're the, it's, the, it's the type of player, if you're the Gamecocks, you should get. Uh, but it's impressive if you get him after you've gone potentially four and eight, uh, hey. in my opinion. Absolutely. And, and on LSU, I, you know, I think what they've done is they're taking a very low pressure approach with him and his mom. Uh, you know, they're, they're just, they're focusing on the positives of, of what their, their tradition uh, in putting out big time defensive linemen and being the number one team in the country right now, you know, probably going to win the SEC West and, or I guess they already have won the West and, and, you know, are, are the likely SEC champions probably going to be in the playoffs, you know, all the things that they have going for them right now. Um, I think that's what they're focused on, and, and they're just basically taking the approach of, hey, if you want to come join us, we got a spot for you. And, and I think there's some some value in taking that approach with him. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, you know, look, looking at recruiting and, and looking at the roster, Tony, and I mentioned the defensive line and sort of the depth for next year earlier. I, You know, I, you look at the 2021 class in state, and it's it's a little light. 
<laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and and you kind of look at that, and you look at kind of there's going to be some headwinds that the Gamecocks are going to face putting that class together. I mean, because you're recruiting off of a 4-8 and eight record with it. Um, North Carolina's loaded next year as a state, but – Let's not kid ourselves here. The minute Carolina lost to North Carolina in the season opener, they got that much tougher to go up there and recruit. Um, you know, so I think, you know, because there's holes on next year's team, because next year could be a do-or-die type of situation, I think the game you could see the Gamecocks hit the transfer portal uh, for some players. And they've done that pretty consistently. Each You know, each summer Muschamp's been there. Um, I could see him taking a quarterback – because uh, if, you know, you lose Jake Bentley and you'll have Holinsky and a freshman and maybe DeCarrie and Joyner decides he wants to play, go play quarterback somewhere. Uh, I could see him looking for a running back. Um, safety is always on the table, and, and safety is going to be an issue until it's not, it appears. And especially at wide receiver, particularly if you can find some guys with some speed and explosiveness because obviously they're lacking that. Uh, what do you think about them – maybe going and, and finding some more transfers uh, between now and the start of next year that can help them? I think they have to keep all of their options open there. And, of course, a lot of it will be dictated by uh, numbers. And, you know, they, they don't want to take up too many spots in their, their 2021 class with bringing guys in in August. And, and I think it's, it's tough for those guys that come in that late other than what we've seen from Tavian Feaster, obviously he's been, I think, more the exception than the rule there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I think they have to keep all of their options open there, and and if they can find someone who can help them at any of those positions of need, I think they have to take a long look at them uh, because you know they they they're going to have some weak spots going into next season and some areas where they, that they're going to need to shore up for and need to get some immediate help, and uh, I think they they'll. You know, Matt Lindsay does a really good job of, of monitoring the transfer portal. You know, he's one of the ones who guys who found Nick Muse when he entered the portal. You know, brought the film to Bobby Bentley. Bobby Bentley brought the film to Nick Will Muschamp, and then it all went from there. And and uh, and I think you know Lindsay will will, will continue to, to be that guy who's constantly monitoring the portal to to try to find some help for next year. Yeah, Nick Muse is a guy too. I th- I thought he was well on his way to being you know, to working out. I mean, I, I thought he – I thought as a everybody got all upset because Carolina took a transfer tight end from William & Mary and ended up being pretty good, I thought. And I think he'll be really good next year, uh, provided he can, you know, recover from his injury. I, I think he's got a lot of uh, athleticism and elusiveness for a guy that big. Um, I, I really think he can be a good player, and he's got NFL written all over him. Yeah, you don't see guys – at his size, who can stick their foot in the ground and make guys miss in the open field the way he can. So hopefully he'll make a full recovery from the ACL injury and and be a big player for them next year on offense. Absolutely. All right, that's all the time we have for today on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. We'll be back next week with our regular episode and then previewing the Clemson game. For Tony Morrell, it's J.C. Sherbert. Have a great week, everyone.